My, my heart has been burdened for the school system lately. I have two daughters that the Lord very clearly spoke to us that we were to have our kids in public school. It went against my grain, but it was the Lord. He confirmed it to us. And we have been missionaries, and I've been amazed that the grace that's been on my kids to, to be in these, these, these schools, and they have got some situations that they've been in that it's just like, wow. But the grace of God is on my kids. When you obey God, he just puts a covering over you, you know, and that doesn't mean you don't go through stuff. You do. You have, I've had to deal with things that I wouldn't have had to deal with if my kids weren't in public school, but I've also seen kids that would have had no other hope. Our family get to be a hope for them and a light and begin to share the Lord with them that kids are getting the gospel that wouldn't have got the gospel just through the relationship of my daughters. And uh, this organization right here, it says... Teach character, not color. All right? This is uh, fightforourchildren.org. Right now, our, the enemy is really going after our kids. He's trying to bring division on every level. Uh, you know, male versus female, straight versus LGBTQ, white versus black. If you name it, he's trying to bring division. Why? Because that's what Satan does. A house divided can't stand. He knows that. And so what he tries to do is, is pit us against one another. It's one of the core principles of Marxism. Divide the people. Let them destroy themselves, and then we come in in the vacuum afterwards and take authority, take power. That's the goal of Marxism. This group right now uh, is having a rally on Tuesday, I think between 4.30 and 6.30, um, I believe it's at the, um, where they have the Board of Elections meeting, it's a Board of, I'm sorry, Board of Education meetings. Um, I think that's downtown. I can get further information and, and have Jesse send it out in an email. If you're not on our email list, please leave a note or something and you can get our email. They've asked me to share at this meeting. I'm speaking at the rally. We're look at looking for people to come. There might be a possibility for you to get to church. What we're speaking against is critical theory or critical race theory. And what it does is it teaches people that there's only two types of people, an offender, oh, I'm sorry, oppressor and an oppressee. You're either oppressor or you're an oppressee. So it puts people in two positions, a victim or an oppressor. Scripturally, the Lord says he leads us in his triumph. In Christ Jesus, we don't have victims. It don't matter what you've been through. When you apply the cross to your situation, God will turn it around and make you a more than a conqueror. He will make you an overcomer, and he will take the very wounds that were, used, that were put on you, and he will use those wounds to release authority to others. There are no victim mentality in Christ. Christ not a victim, and neither are you. You're a child and the daughter of the king. What this does is it pits people as either victim or you're an oppressor, and so you should feel shame. And we, that's being pushed on our school system, that it's to, it's to put people in these situations. And we're speaking out against it. I didn't really want to do this, but I really felt like the Lord wanted me to do it. So I'm like overcoming my fear, to be honest with you. I don't want to speak to a board of education. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. Uh, but I, I'm going to do it. 
because I know I'm supposed to. And if you guys would like to come, we would love to have your support. We're standing for our county because they're really trying to teach some really bad stuff, change history. And, you know, really they're trying to dishonor one of American's heroes in Martin Luther King Jr. His whole fight was so that one day people would be judged by their character, not by their skin color. That came out of his own mouth, and now we're switching that to where now it's all about your identity politics. If you're a white person, you're an oppressor. If you're a male, you're an oppressor. You know, if you've been any position of power, you're an oppressor. And that doesn't help us. It doesn't help relations, and the church is the answer to that. The church is the answer to that. So we got to stand up against this stuff. We're not teaching our kids that you need to feel bad about who you are. We're trying to teach our kids that you were wonderfully and fearfully made, that God designed you, and that who you are matters to God. He didn't make a mistake. If you were born black, you should rejoice because you were made in God's image. If you were born white, you should rejoice because you were made in God's image. He didn't make mistakes. He made you the way he desired you, and it wasn't about your choice. He did that. God did that. So we should not ever feel shame or guilt because of who we were born to be. Never. Anything that says you should feel bad because of the color of your skin is from the pit of hell. It takes all the races to reflect the creative God that created us all in his image. And so we need to come together and not allow the enemy to divide us over wounds from the past that Jesus has been healing so anyway, that's just my little spill. You can get a shirt if you want to to support it. Please go to their, uh, their um, website. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, I love it when God gives me clarity. But I have determined whether in comfort or discomfort to keep moving forward in faith. And know that he's going to work it out. But this morning, I got woke up to a dream which confirmed my message today. So I like that when that happens. All right. I think this is a core message. I think this is what I'm about to share is Christianity 101, really, in a lot of ways. But it's something that I, I, I feel like the Lord was wanting to share. So, and I know it's something that we all need to hear. We need to hear over and over again until it's ingrained in us if we, if we don't uh, practice what I'm going to share on today. All right. So this is going to sound really gross, and it is, but it was a message. So here's the dream. I dreamed I was in this church. It wasn't this one. I was visiting at someone's church. Don't know who it was. And I come in, and they were, there was a big congregation and I'm sitting down, and worship was just ending, and people started coming in, and there was more people coming in from somewhere, and they started pulling out more chairs. The place was full, really packed house. But I noticed the pastor, uh, as I'm sitting up watching him, he was really overweight, and his shirt was unbuttoned to where his left breast was showing. Yes? And he, I know. And he had a baby nursing and he's like he's just got he's just like out for the world to see you know right there and you're you're watching you're thinking man but I it woke me up out of my sleep and I immediately knew what the Lord was saying and this was the message today 
Okay. So we're t- this, is, this is a message, if you want to turn over to uh, Matthew 24. This is Jesus referencing a lot of the things that would take place before the end. This particular passage speaks of the uh, destruction of Jerusalem, and which took place in AD 70. So this passage of scripture I'm about to share from, share from was fulfilled, but how many know that there are multiple layers on scripture? You can see that even in the, a lot of the prophecies that the New Testament point to Jesus on were also passages of prophecy that were fulfilled under the Old Testament. So God is so big that he layers even his promises that it can speak into different situations. So I'm not negating the fact that this scripture had a physical um, fulfillment that took place in AD 70, but I'm saying there's more to it than that. Okay? Everybody with me? All right. So Matthew 24, verse 19, and Jesus is talking about the perilous times, and, and, and he's telling them about something that was about to take place and how difficult the times were going to be. And he's talking about a great tribulation that had occurred, that would happen, that would be worse than all tribulation before. And it says in verse 19, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Okay? Y'all remember my dream? The pastor was nursing a baby. I felt like this is a warning and a word for us And here's how you interpret that metaphorically, if you will. Woe to those who keep their people in in immaturity. When the pastor keeps being the one that has to feed little babies, woe to you. Because what happens is, is when you don't have a church that can operate in the fullness, everybody in their place, everybody having grown up into all aspects into him, where, where there's no, when one believer to the next believer, they all got the Holy Spirit, they're all doing the work of the ministry according to Ephesians 4, 11, 12, and 13. When you don't have that, you have an, a body that's barely functioning, barely operating, you don't have the power flowing that you need, and you're not going to be able to impact the world the way you're supposed to. Woe to you who keep your, children, your babies, your people in immaturity because what happens when you need someone who's walking in healing gifts because you got a child that has cancer and you need some power and all these people that were called to walk in that because of your territorialism and because of your fear of seeing people grow in something because they might out-replace you, and that fear has caused you to keep your people in, intimate, in, in uh, uh, infancy, and now, you know, they can't, you know, you're scared because you don't want these people to grow up and be more, you want everybody to be dependent upon you. That's the way most churches are set up. They pastors preach in such a way to, that their people are left in babyhood and they can't walk in their calling and their destiny without them. And when that's the case, when you need what God was wanting to them to grow up into, you don't have it. And when you don't have it, there's a need that doesn't get met. And it ain't God's fault, it's our fault. Woe to you when you keep your babies in immaturity. When you keep your people in immaturity, always needing them to get the word from you and not being able to have the word directly from the source himself. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. I am not your source. 
If I am your source, woe to you and woe to me. The veil has been torn. You can go directly to God for yourself and get everything you need. And if you don't do it, shame on you and shame on me. Dependency on man is immaturity. We must grow up into dependency on God. You hear that? If you need people to always be fixing your problems, you're a baby and you need to grow up in the word. It's okay to be a baby when you're a baby. Don't misunderstand me. When you're first born again, you're supposed to be a baby. There's nothing wrong with a, with a one-year-old and a two-year-old pooping in their diaper. That's what one- and two-year-olds do. But when you're 14 and you're pooping in your diaper, shame on you. Do you hear me? So if you're a baby, it's okay. Just grow up in God's timing. You don't grow up overnight. It takes time. It's a process. But if you've been in the church for 20 years and you're still dependent upon people, something's wrong. Now, is God going to use people in your life? Absolutely. But your source is him moving through them, not you having faith in these people to meet your needs. Your faith is in God, and God can sovereignly choose to use this person or that person or come directly or an angel or however he needs to get you what you need, but that's coming from God, and is God working through his body. That is big difference between us having our confidence and our faith in men. Men will fail you every time. If you're looking to me, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not big enough. I'm I'm struggling with my own stuff, people. I ain't got time to fix everybody else's problem, and I don't have the power to do it. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. All right. So what we need to do is to learn how to feed ourselves, and that's what I want to talk to you today about. Turn to Exodus 16. Rick has talked on this a lot, and it's so good. I've, um, when I was at the conference a few months ago, I, I've heard him preach. I mean, he preaches. I've been hearing him preach since 95, so, I mean, I've heard a lot of stuff. And I've heard him say this, but it never, there was something he said, and it was just like the Holy Spirit just, it just jumped out at me, and it registered to me in a way like I've never heard before. So if you're familiar with this passage, in Exodus 16, the people didn't have food to eat, okay? And they, they were complaining, as we do, and God decides he's going to send manna from heaven. This is bread that comes down from heaven. So this is, Jesus referenced himself as the bread that came down from heaven, but there's a principle in here that we need to get, okay? So God said, told the children of Israel that I'm going to rain bread from heaven, and you're going to get up every morning, and you're going to go out, and you're going to get it. Let's read and uh, start in Exodus 16. Just start in verse 4. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instructions. So the Lord was going to provide manna from heaven every day for everybody there, but they had to get up and gather it. Y'all hear that? 
And whether they got up and gathered their manna from heaven every day was a test to see if they would walk in the instructions of the Lord. Father, give us this day our daily bread. That take on some new meaning? Give us this day our daily bread. The Father wants to release to us words from heaven. His word is life to them that find it and health to all their flesh. God wants us to get up every day and to go and get with him and experience and grab hold of manna from heaven, bread from heaven, bread that gives life to us for the day so that we can be sustained and have what we need. But you know what? Your pastor can't do that for you. Your neighbor can't do for that. Your husband, your wife can't do that for you. There's nobody that can provide heaven's bread for your life except for you. God has provided it. It's your job to go up every day and gather it. This is like a battery. How many got a cell phone? What happens if you don't put that cell phone on charge at night? You wake up the next day, there's no juice. Well, I can tell you from experience, when I don't plug in to the Father every day, I begin to, my battery begins to go low, and I start dealing with things that I wouldn't be dealing with if my battery was charged. We all have a battery. It's called our spirit. And when we feed our spirit every day, can't feed... Every day, when you get connected every day and you charge that thing, you will walk at another level of authority, another level of power, another level of victory, another level of closeness with the Father, another level of awesome dependency where God's providing you everything you need. And he does this for everybody every day because he gives us his bread daily, but it's sitting there for you to go gather it. And if you don't gather it, it's on you, not God. Do y'all hear that? Now, it's interesting about this bread, and I love this because this is so true. This is the whole battery thing. If you tried to feed on yesterday's manna, what would happen? That's right. It was spoiled. It was rotten. It would have maggots in it. If you try to live on what you encountered with God yesterday, it will be rotten to you, and you will find no strength in it no substance, no help, because we were made for daily encounters with God. We were made daily to go boldly before the throne of grace. We were made daily to partake of this word right here. This is the word of life. Now, when the Holy Spirit breathes on this, and he will if you'll seek him in it, This becomes life to them that find it and health to all their flesh. That's what it says. His word is life to them that find it and health to all their flesh. His word is life to them that find it. Jesus said, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life, and we have them right here. We have the word of God. God himself said he exalts his word even above his name. God exalts this right here higher than even his name, and here it is, the bread from heaven, but we have to go gather it. And what does that look like? You know, sometimes I can read the Bible, and I will read a passage that I've read thousands of times, and then one day I read it, and, all, and it just comes alive to me in a way that I've never saw before. And, I've, and having done this for over 26 years, where being in the Word every day of my life, 
I have had revelation in a, in a, in a passage like, whoa, I can't believe that. That's amazing, God. And then maybe a, a year later, I, I happen upon that same passage, and all of a sudden, I see something brand new I never saw before. You can't exhaust this thing. It's unexhaustible. This is the most amazing gift that God has given us in many ways, the Word and the Holy Spirit, and you can't, you can't separate the two in the sense because the Holy Spirit uses the Word. Taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. God uses this Word right here. You know, I want to say this very clearly. You don't earn anything. I'm not talking about earning something. Earning has to do with your, your, your motivation. If you're reading the Bible so that you can measure up to what God wants of you, oh, I have to read the Bible today so I can be right with God and be what pleases him, you're doing it for your, for a, in, a, in a way that is a front to the cross. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God, okay? We don't do it for that. We do it to connect with God. But it is essential that we do it. Jesus, the Son of God, who was the Word of God, when he came to this earth, he spent his time in the temple reading the Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures better than anybody. He quoted, when Satan would attack him, what would he do? It is written. He knew the Word of God. He had went and gathered his manna. Does that make sense? We have got to get in this word. I find that most believers who don't have victory in their life is because they don't spend time seeking God in this book. This book has life in it. It has life. Now, sure, you can be a Pharisee. You can get in this book and try to use the book to exalt yourself. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about hungry people who want to know their father and they're seeking to see him. Jesus said, you err because you don't know the power of God or the scriptures. He said that, remember? And he, says, he said to those same people, you search this for eternal life, but this scripture speaks of me. I am looking for him in this book. When I read the Bible, I'm saying, God, I want to know you. I want to see you better. And the best way to get that veil off to where you can see and behold the glory of the Lord is by getting in this book. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is where our, when we get in this book, it washes our mind. It begins to realign our thinking with his thinking. It kind of washes that stinking thinking to be his thinking. This exchange stinking thinking for his thinking, right? And all of us have stinking thinking. But we get in this word, and this word begins to change us. And the Bible says it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. When you get this word in you and you hide his word in your heart that you do not sin against God, when you put that word in and you're, you're constantly feeding on the word, you're feeding on your word. You heard the saying that you become what you eat? Well, when we feed on this word, we become what we eat. And then from the abundance of our heart, where we filled our heart full of the treasures of the word of God, the word will just start coming out of you. 
You come around somebody that, you, that has a problem and they start talking and all of a sudden the word just starts jumping out of your mouth. Why? Because you've been eating it your whole life. What you put in comes out. I love John 8. Turn over there if you, um, you don't have to. I'm going to read it. I just, John 8. Let's make this point really quick and then I'm going to. Let me say this before I say, let me go to John 2 before we go to John 8. You can stay in John 8 because um, most of you are very familiar with the passage I'm going to reference beforehand. Um, in John 2, you see Jesus went to Canaan and there was a wedding and Jesus turned the water into wine. It was his first miracle, right? And I've shared this before and y'all, most of you know this, but when he went to do the miracle of turning water into wine, there were six ceremonial cleansing pots. Cleansing. Okay? There were six pots that the Jews used for ceremonial washing. You know, they had it in their head. They had to wash before they ate. They had to wash all the time because of what was in the Old Testament law. Because the Lord was speaking of something that he wants us to wash Ourselves. So how do we do that? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, he says, having washed herself with the water of the word, talking about the Lord cleansing his bride in Ephesians 5, he said, having washed her with the water of the word. See, the word is a cleansing. It begins to cleanse us. It begins to wash us. It begins to wash away the junk. And when we, when we see that and when Jesus was saying, here's the six, six, what's the number six? It's man. Man was created on the sixth day. So there's six. It represents man. And Jesus said to them, fill these jars up with water. Notice Jesus never filled these jars up. He said, you fill these waters. He told the servants, fill the jars up with water. It's up to man to fill themselves up with the word of God. But if we will do our responsibility and get in this book and read this word and fill ourselves up, memorize it, think on it, meditate on it, read the word. And if we will fill our jars up with the word of God, then Jesus will come in and he'll draw from that word and he'll turn it into the anointing, the wine that gives life to other people, that makes people joyful and happy. Y'all hear that? It's our job. Jesus didn't fill it up. He told them to fill up the jars. We have to fill up our jars with water. Now, John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. Okay, so these are people that had put faith in Jesus. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Wait a minute. He's telling believers, people who put faith in him, that believe in him, that if they continue in his word, they are disciples. What is a disciple? It's someone that's learning and being trained and equipped by a master. You can be a Christian and not be a disciple. I believe that with all my heart. You can squeeze yourself through the pearly gates by faith in Christ Jesus alone. You can believe in Jesus. I believe you can believe in Jesus and still go on and live for yourself. 
still go on to live your life how you want to and never surrender your life completely to the Lord Jesus. And I think if you have faith in him, you will make it in. But you're not going to, you know, we've talked about this, I believe with all my heart, there's different levels in heaven. The Lord put it to me like, and there's plenty in the scriptures to verify this. This is not my message. I'm not really getting into that. But the Lord put it to me this way. Those that love me enough to get close to me on earth will be closest to me in heaven. He's, this is training for reigning. God is looking to a, a day when I has not seen, neither ear heard, neither has it even entered the heart of man all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so here in this passage, Jesus saying, if you really want to be my disciple, you've believed in me, but if you really want to be my disciple, you've got to continue in my word. Continue, not just one day and then forget about him, but continue. I want to connect with him. I, want, I need the life of God flowing in me. I, I realize that of my own self, I can do nothing, but th- with, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus said, if you abide in me and let my words abide in you, how can you let a word abide in you that you've never read? When you read and you chew on and you, you digest and you feed on the word of God, you're letting that abide in you and you're beginning to abide in him and let his word abide in you. You can ask the father for whatever you need and it'll be done for you. That's what Jesus said. And so we have to continue. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. We so misuse that scripture. We say, oh, we're gonna, we know the truth, and the truth sets us free, and we're running around in bondage all over the place. Can't get free from pornography. Can't get free from self-hatred. Can't get free from all these things that entangle us. And we're like, well, but if you know the truth, the truth will you free. There's a big difference between spewing head knowledge about something and it becoming a part of who you are. And when you feed on the word, the Holy Spirit will take that and he'll slowly work it into you. It's just like taking vitamins. You start taking a vitamin one day, you don't feel it working. It's like eating right. You might not feel it working the first few days. But over time, as you continue to feed on that which is good for you, it slowly begins to transform your body because your body's getting what you need. And then, it, then you're transformed. It's like, wow, I feel better. That's the same thing the Word of God is. It, you may not see it right away, but if you will continue to feed on it, it will get inside your heart and it will slowly become who you are. Because your mind's being transformed. It's getting into your heart. And when it gets into your heart, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. When it gets in here, then it transforms us. God wants it to get into our hearts. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. When you continue in his word, that word will get inside of you and you will begin to experientially know the truth of God and that truth that you begin to experience in your heart will set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The key to that last verse is tied to the first verse. Continue in my word. 
By the grace of God, I don't know why, but I'm thankful when I was very young and um, I think I was probably, I don't know, 20, 21 years old, 22, somewhere in there. Some, I, just had a, I just had an understanding that hit me one day that I needed to spend time with God every day. And the way I do, do that, the way we do that is through prayer and reading the word prayer and reading the word. Worship, prayer, reading the word. And as we do that, you know, we're, we're setting priorities. You realize that? Psalm 63.1. You know what Matthew 6.33 says? That's that scripture that says, um, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I love that scripture because that really is the key of life. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. A lot of times, unfortunately, we tend to set other things at a higher priority than we do seeking the Lord. We do. My job, where I live, my car payment, my boat payment, taking, even taking care of my family. You know, you can, you can set taking care of your family above God sometimes. When you take the weight that this is your weight that you have to bear, God wants us to seek him first. And when we seek him first, all the other stuff will be provided for. So how do we seek him first? Psalm 63. I love this. Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. Okay, one translation, and, and this is actually the, what it literally says in the Hebrew here, that word earnestly, it says, oh God, you are my God, I shall seek you early. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The psalmist is experiencing this desire to know him, and he says, I will set you as my priority, and I will seek you early. What happens is, and this is not to turn into some religious rule, there's, you know, but in general, what you do first is usually your highest priority. And I have made a habit by the grace of God that I get up, go to the bathroom, I brush my teeth. I may even, since I've gotten older, I, I, I get some caffeine in me because I find it helpful to be awake. <laughs> but then I grab my Bible and I go get along with God. And I love it. I haven't always loved it. I used to do this every day, even though my flesh didn't want to do it, and I would much rather be playing video games or going and playing basketball or playing music or doing all this other stuff that I had fleshly desires to do. But I, I got it early on that there is, this is how I seek him earnestly. This is how I do it. I, this is how I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness by valuing my time with him, by setting him as my priority above all else. And you, this is how we test ourselves to see if we'll walk in the instructions of the Lord. When we get up in the morning, do we go out and we gather fresh manna from heaven? Do you get up and get with him first thing? Do you go on that treasure hunt every morning? It's the glory of God to hide a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search a matter out. Do you go on that Easter egg hunt early in the morning every day to see what God's going to give you today because he promised that he will give us our daily bread if we'll go out and gather it? Can y'all hear me? This is our call. This is the main way that we feed ourselves. 
We get in that word. We honor that word. We spend our life in that word. And I promise you, as having somebody done this for at least 26 years of my life, where I read this thing every day. I, but I'm not just reading it, okay? Don't hear me. I'm looking for him. I want to experience him. It's not about me using that to become, to somehow measure up to God's, you know, I've done, I've had a good day. I've done good. I've read my Bible enough. So now I'm okay with God now. Okay. I've checked that box. Let me go do what I want to do now. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Lord, I really want to love you. I want to desire you the most. I may not always desire you the most, but I want to desire you the most. So, Lord, I'm going to sit my butt down in this chair, and I'm going to seek you, and I'm asking that you give me love for you and hunger for you, and you meet me in this place, Lord God. Meet me in this place. That's where he met the children of Israel at the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord said in the, in, when he told Moses about the Ark of the Covenant, he said, I will meet you there. You know what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Word of God. He told Moses to, to write all my words on a tablet and place them in the Ark. When we meet with God there, the Ark of His presence was another one. When we look for His presence, inside that is the Word of God that we feed on. If there's nothing else that you can get so that you grow up into all aspects into him, it all starts by getting in this word. This is Christianity 101. Please, please, please learn to sit with him. Learn to give your time devoted to this. And I promise you, if you will do this, you will look back on it and not believe where it has taken you. His word will take you places that you couldn't go. His word will allow you to overcome in ways you would never overcome. We have got to grow up into him. Now, real quick, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because this isn't the message today. You can get some of this in the second in our training because that's part of it. But when you do this first part of feeding yourself, gathering your manna every day, it will lead to the second way we feed ourselves. And that's found in John chapter 4. Now, y'all know the story of the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. Jesus goes and he sits with a woman at the well and he ministers to her. He gets words of knowledge about her life. He tells her things that he couldn't have known outside of the Spirit of God. It was a supernatural encounter. And she gets just blown away, and she runs off into the city and tells everybody that he told her everything she'd ever done, you know? And so here Jesus is, and his disciples had went away while he was, had went away into the city to get food, and when they came back to the well, they see this woman running off, and they're shocked that he had been talking to her, and they, but they were scared to ask him about it. And so when Jesus is talking to them, or when they're talking to Jesus in, in John 4, they say, well, Lord, here's food. Please come and eat something. And the Lord says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And they're like, did somebody give him food and we don't know about it? <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine it would have been a difficult thing to follow the Lord as, because it's, honestly, it's still like that. In a lot of ways, he often speaks things that go over our head, and we have to dig in a little deeper. 
And he goes on to say, let me find this. Um, um, this is, you start in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Okay, Jesus is saying that his food at this place was to do the will of him who sent him, to minister, to see people's life transformed because of the overflow of what God had put in him. And see, when we fill ourselves up on the word, it will automatically lead us into places where we can begin to destroy the works of the devil because we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Holy Spirit in our life will take that word and he will begin to draw it out of us to bring life to people who need it every place we go. And what happens when that happens? It's an amazing feeling when you know you just were used by God to help somebody. How many have ever encountered that? And you're like, you go away fuller than the person that you just ministered to. You can't outgive God. When you minister to somebody and their life gets blessed, if I don't know about you, I would much rather minister to somebody than be ministered to. It's more fulfilling. Don't get me wrong. I need ministry. If you got a word for me, give it. I need stuff. I need the body, okay? But I would much rather prophesy over somebody or pray for somebody or minister to somebody than be ministered to, it does something inside of me that it's like, wow, this is what I was made for. That is what Adam was made for. He was created for two functions, to be with God and to tend the garden. And God gave Adam authority over the earth. In Mark 3.14, and this, I'm going to close with this one thing. I love this passage. Jesus kind of sets some priorities, really, with this passage. It says that he appointed 12 so that there would, they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and have authority to cast out the demons. Jesus appointed the 12. First of all, he set everything, this is not an accident. What he does in Scripture, he does on purpose. The first thing he mentions is the highest priority. He appointed the 12 so that they may be with him. That's number one. That's number one. We feed ourselves. We go be with him. Be with God. Spend time with God. Get in his word. Pray. Spend time in his presence. Have intimacy with him. Have a relationship with him. Talk to him all the time. That's his number one priority for us, him setting us. Number two is the second way that we feed ourselves so that we can go out and minister. So we can go out and preach and take authority over the enemy and destroy the works of the devil. Jesus wants us to destroy the works of the devil. I, was, I don't know why I'm thinking about this, Haley, but I was thinking about that time you were coming out of your car, you know what I'm talking about? And you ministered to that guy, I believe it was, and how full you were, came back with joy. I mean, you were lit up because when God uses us, when we step out in faith and God uses us, it does something to us. 
So our first priority is to put him first every day. And then what will come out of that is the second thing that will give life to us is when we are used by God to help other people. Does that make sense? So let's not waste every day. You know, and, and let me just say this. I'm not, there is a difference between works and striving. God doesn't want that. And we don't need religious spirits. We don't need to feel like we don't need to turn this into a law because if you turn it into a law, it'll bring death. But there is truth in this that we have to do these things in order to encounter what we want to encounter. But it's not, it's how, why you're doing it. Are you doing it to know him or are you doing it to somehow measure up? If you're doing it to measure up, you're under law. We've talked about this the last few weeks. Please go back and listen to those messages. But we do need to do this. We need to be with him. We need to set him as our priority. And when we do that, it will absolutely change our life. Change our life. Every day, guys, get up and get with the Lord. I remember when I was doing construction, there was a season of my life that I would have to be on the job site by 7 o'clock ready to go. Tools out, ready to work, 7 o'clock. We would get off between 3 and 4, and usually it would roll into 4, and I, in that time I was going to school for, for carpentry while I was working construction, and I would leave straight from there to go to a class that I, I wouldn't get home till 11.30 at night. And it was all physical labor, both the class and the, because uh, the class you're, you physically do it. It was a big warehouse. You'd frame houses in the house, so that, in this warehouse, so that you could learn how to frame houses. So there was a little bit of book work, but most of it was if you physically do it. So you're talking about dragging in at 1130 and being like, oh, I, I was so tired some days. I, if I wasn't married, I might not have gotten in the shower. But, I'm, but my wife would divorce me if I would have gotten <laughs> in the bed smelling like that. Uh, after sweating for, you know, that amount of time. So, but I had understood that I needed God every day. I had to plug into my battery, get my battery charged, and I didn't know what to do. Well, this is what I said, and I was talking to the Lord about it, and this is what the Lord gave me. I really loved to go out at lunchtime with my friends at work and to just have that hour to just hang out and eat food and just fellowship. I loved it. It was one of my favorite parts of the day, and the Lord says, I Sit in your truck and just dig in my word. That's your pocket. And it was like, ouch, because the guys didn't understand it. I looked way religious to them. The people didn't understand it, that I'm going to sit in my Bible and read, sit in my truck and read my Bible for an hour while they go off and have lunch. But I set him as my priority. And I will say this to you. The Lord has manipulated my life now to such a way that I have hours and hours and hours to spend with the Lord today, and I love it. It used to not love it all the time. I used to, it used to be a chore to me in some ways, but I've kept doing it, and then I started, when I moved here, I felt incredibly guilty about it. I was like, wow, I feel guilty for just sitting around reading and praying, I did. I felt like I wasn't getting anything done. I wasn't accomplishing anything, and I had a real guilt complex to it. And then the Lord spoke to me one day about a year of this suffering, just doing it anyway. But but I mean, I could. I, it, there was just anoint a grace on me. That's all I can say. I just couldn't pull away. Now that wasn't always on my life, but there came a point where I was like, there was this grace on me that I couldn't pull away from the Word. I couldn't pull away. But I felt guilty about it all at the same time. Does that make sense? And then one day the Lord just absolutely undid me. 
out of the blue, I'm feeling bad about it. I'm in there reading the word and feeling guilty at the same time because I'm because I've been I've done had a, I've done had an hour or so and you know there's stuff that needs to get done but I, I didn't want to pull away but and then the Lord basically speaks this word over me. He says, "Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her." And the light bulb went off. Y'all know that story? Mary and Martha. Martha was busy doing things for the Lord. She was serving. And she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister is not helping? Because Mary had set herself at the feet of Jesus to listen to him, to listen to his words. And Jesus said to Martha, he said, Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. And when the Lord spoke that to me, I had a light bulb of my life that because of my willingness to put him first all through these decades of putting him first, that because I had chosen the better part, the Lord would allow me to have that. It would not be taken from me, and it cast the guilt off of me. And now I could just sit and just enjoy my father because I was faithful to enjoy him when it was hard. Now he's given me a window to really just to sit. Does that make sense? Why am I telling you that? To pat myself on the back? No, I'm saying that if you will set him as your priority, it won't be taken from you. If you will give yourself to this, it won't be taken from you. If you choose the better part, it won't be taken from you. His word is the power that you need to overcome. His word. His word. Well, Lord, help us. Help us do this, Lord. Give us grace to, to, to put you first, to acknowledge you, to give you the first of our day. If we got to get up an extra time, you know, if we got to be at work at eight, Lord, sometimes we can just get up a little earlier because we're setting you as a priority or we can skip lunch or we can find, there is, where there is a will, there is a way. And Lord, I ask for the grace upon us that you give us the ability, and I know you will, to set you first, to turn the TV off or do whatever we got to do. Nothing wrong with TV. I enjoy TV. I watch it. But anything that is stealing from me setting you is number one in my life, Lord, remove it. Get it out of my heart. Get it out of my life. I'm praying that over your body, Lord, that we would grow up into all aspects into you, that we would grow up into our purpose, that we wouldn't be dependent upon the man to feed us because we are feeding ourselves by getting in your presence, getting in your word, cutting our own teeth like, pure, like, like little born babies longing for the pure milk of the word, Lord God, that we're getting it ourselves. We're not dependent upon others to give it to us. So, Lord, help us. And I just want to say, if you will commit yourself to do this, you will grow up into him, and you will not be dependent upon man, but you will learn dependency on your Father, and you will grow up in his word. His word will abide in you, and you will abide in him, and you'll be able to ask for whatever you desire, and it shall be given to you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.